Welcome to The Gamer's Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello. We're back. We're doing we a quarantine back. episode this time. Oh my god. <laughs> this is, uh, actually, this is every You episode. know, every podcast ever is a quarantine episode. This is what is absolutely killing me about <laughs> so, so many of the offerings on TV. And I think, you know what? We were going to probably leave this to the end of what we're playing, but I think we should just get it out of the way now yeah, because of that segue. Uh, but yeah, there's so many episodes of shows right now mm -hmm. that are like quarantine versions. And guys, they're just podcasts. I don't know if you know this, but yeah, <laughs> we've been making content on video calls for literally 10 years now. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing, I think we, we touched on this a little bit uh, uh, last episode, but this is relevant because I actually watched a, a quarantine episode of, of something we've talked about on this show and it's video game related. But uh, yeah, a lot of these shows are doing are doing basically podcasts and, you know, American Idol is basically turned into a podcast and you could you could feel that it was not uh the quality they're used to i mean they're used to a, a big bombastic live stage but right um it's i'm kind of torn like i like the idea of getting new content like i watched the parks and rec one and yeah it's basically like a a really complex uh recording of a bunch of skype calls and that's fine. I, I, you know, that show has been off the air for a while. Bringing it back, it's really cool to see those characters. But, you know, you, you, you start to get into, I watched like the Tiger King, like, mm -hmm. podcast episode. And I'm like, Joel McHale will literally do anything, uh, which is fine. I mean, these, these folks are out of work, too. They're not, they're not working. And... <laughs> Uh, and I watch so uh, my big like oh my god moment was because mm. I've been watching John Oliver he's been doing like a <laughs> just him behind a desk in front of a white wall he's doing it right though he's doing really yeah, good he yeah he's doing a really good job and I mean outside of like the studio audience with the laughs like it is basically still just the same show because it was always him just being a talking head behind a desk mm -hmm. which is hilarious and fun and everybody should watch last week tonight and if you're not turn me off right now there's better content out there it's John Oliver go watch <laughs> but um his no, schedule's like, a little uh, inconsistent, though. Like he's he's sometimes on some <laughs> weeks and off other weeks. In terms of being like recording a show, every episode's hilarious. I mean, he's got yes. probably the best material that any come I mean, any comedians had uh, in quite a while with what's going on uh, down mm -hmm. south of us. But uh, it is a but yeah. Show. So, but RuPaul's Drag Race, mm. which uh, is was supposed to film their live finale like right now, basically. Uh, they're doing exactly the same thing, these quarantine episodes with everybody Skyping in. And it's terrible. I couldn't watch it. Oh, no. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. It's like, I mean, there's there's no, like, technical difficulties because obviously they edit that out. But especially, and I don't watch American Idol, so I don't know if this is the same, but especially shows that are kind of, like, built on that in-person chemistry because, I mean, Ryan and I, We've been making content like this for a very, very long time. We've had multiple different co-hosts over different subject matter. Like it is difficult to find people that you gel with over the basically over the phone. Mm -hmm. Right. 
uh, it's, it's very, very difficult where, you know, like in person, sometimes it's just easier to get that flow. There's a lot of like body language clues and everything else. And you just don't get that over Skype. It's not as easy to to connect with people. And sometimes there's lag and whatever. So, man, there's just jokes that don't land. There's like awkward silences. There's just, oh, my God, it's just so ugh gross it's just gross <laughs> and you're right doesn't have the same level of pageantry mm-hmm. or uh like it's just not the same obviously the same like level of production and and everything else it's just it just feels small and sometimes that really doesn't fit what a show is meant to do but Mythic Quest, which is why we're talking about quarantine versions of shows, has put out another episode. And I haven't had a chance to watch it, but Ryan, you watched it because I literally like <laughs> Drag Race broke my spirit. No. Um, <laughs> I watched that quarantine episode and then I'm just like, no, I can't do it anymore with all of these quarantine things. But you watched it. Tell me about the newest edition because it's just a one off episode, right? Like it's it's not a, a full season or anything they've uh it's not a full season yet it's a one-off episode they've tacked it on to the end of season one this is i think technically billed as episode 10 uh and it is a continuation of of this not necessarily the story but the characters and where we left off uh from the previous uh which episodes would be the story yes 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 <laughs> uh, i don't know why i over explained that it's interesting in the sense like we're just gonna brush past that uh anyways they added this new episode completely randomly. If it if we had known it was coming out, I I had not seen anything about it. They just kind of dropped it. And I think this continues to showcase that Apple is not joking around. And I don't want to get into the whole Apple Android Windows discussion. I, I use a lot of Apple devices. I really like what they do. I also like what Windows does. But in terms of television and their subscription service, they're they're not messing around with this content. And I, I got to say, I think this is the best quarantine episode that I've seen out of all the ones that I've seen. And, you know, here's what I'm saying here is like, you know, I mentioned the Parks and Rec one. That was for charity. Like they did what they had to do to to get it out and, and to, to work with it and get all those folks back together to, to shoot that thing. This is very much probably an episode that they shot while production on season two was was shut down. I mean, it's it, it very likely uh, is is an episode that they were working on um, once production shut down. But but it has all the characters, it has all the actors that come back, and they're all there. And the plot is again very. I found it quite funny. Uh, it's video game related. It's about these developers that are uh, working from home to continue building their game. And yes, the the same old shenanigans uh, take place. Uh, as you would expect. But they're kind of like leaning into what's going on in the real world instead of kind of trying to gloss over it. Oh, a little. Yeah, it's it's there. They're very much talking about, you know, what... that's been my big question is like when all of our TV shows come back, yeah. like for instance, I'm one of those diehards that's still watching Grey's Anatomy 16 or whatever seasons in. And I can't imagine now what that show is going to look like Hmm. in a like pandemic world. Like, do they lean into it? Do they pretend it didn't happen? Like, because so many of our shows kind of had had finished filming or cut their season short or whatever. But, you know, like 
the majority of their season had already aired or was already filmed and then did air. And now we're into the time of like what happens with next seasons. Like, do we just not have TV come the fall, which is not unprecedented with the writer's strike. Like we had a really big chunk of yeah. time and they were, they were off for like 12 weeks. So we had a whole bunch of shows that were um, just like half seasons unfortunately pushing daisies was one of those and it was one of the greatest shows of all time and if oh, you haven't watched yeah. it you should go watch it but anyways uh it very much like was a was a casualty of that writer strike so is the pandemic going to just give us no tv are we going to get things like the mythic quest quarantine episode like what what's gonna happen come you know september october when we would normally be getting new seasons of stuff and mm. so the Mythic Quest version leaned into it and was successful. Yeah, they they lean into it very much, and I and I think it's successful in the sense that they show, uh, they show like the team calls. So if you're if, if you remember Mythic Quest, they had the team meetings. You very much experienced that. Uh, and there's some tropes like you know the old guy doesn't know how to connect to Zoom. You know, you saw that coming on my. Actually, it's probably some version of FaceTime because it's an Apple show and every. Everyone has yeah, to obviously, use. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I finally realized that when uh, I was watching another show, it was like Jacob's defending Jacob, and it's like everybody's got an iPhone except for that guy. I wonder if he's the bad guy. It's like, well, uh, <laughs> it, and it's true. It's in their contracts. It's like if you're a bad guy, you can't be using an Apple device. Like that's, wow, that is a, that is a real thing. Uh, look it up. Um, but no, with Mythic Quest, quor- the quarantine episode, like they very much lean into it and they very much look at it from the standpoint of what are developers doing uh, to to keep working on their game. Um, you see a lot of the personalities, like you see Ion's personality uh, coming out, you know, being completely shut in, left alone. And he's this like narcissistic asshole who constantly needs attention. So you can imagine what he's like uh, you you get to experience what Poppy is going through, which was one of my favorite characters from the season. There's some fun stuff between um, the the uh, the microtransaction guy and then the executive producer guy, and that's a lot of fun. And yeah, it's just it's a, it's just it's again it's the best one of these that I've seen. Uh, when when you're looking at a written you know sitcom you know, comedy type show, and then they're putting out one of these extra episodes. This is the best one of those. Uh, I don't think it beats the consistency of like we mentioned, you know, John Oliver, but that's a completely different beast in terms of a highly produced quarantine episode. I think this one, you know, uh, goes above and beyond. And and if you watch it, when you watch it, you might uh, see a, a cameo from one mm. of your favorite characters. I'm not going to say who, but I mean, you can probably, you'll notice it right away. It's not like a, you know, a big cameo. It's just if you, it's an Easter egg, really, is what it is. So you have to watch it. It's really good. Report back next week. Maybe I'm crazy. I mean, my bar for quality is sometimes, you know, all over the place. But I, I did come around on Mythic Quest after the first few episodes, and this episode's solid for sure. Very, very cool. So, so thanks for bringing us that Mythic Quest quarantine report, Ryan. And I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know uh, what I think of it next week. Um, but something that we both got our hands on this week and actually had a chance to play was something that I have been anticipating for such a long time. Mm-hmm. It's Maneater. And if you guys, for some reason, are unfamiliar with the title, this is the shark role-playing game. This is the, you know, like, tech tree, eat everything in your path, um, become a crazy evolved with tons of power shark 
it is probably my most anticipated title of this year just because I have just a huge fascination with sharks always have like some of my all-time favorite movies are shark movies I just I love sharks so I mean, it gave me kind of like depth vibes at first when I first saw it, because depth is something that I we I mean, you and I, Ryan and, and the community, like we played a ton of depth when it first came out. It's still doing updates, by the way. We should get back in there. But um, yeah, like it, I just I was so excited for this game and I got in and started playing it. And it does the thing where it like lets you play as so it was it let you play as an adult shark. So not like a fully evolved, like with all of your crazy tech tree powers, but it gave you a lot more power than what you would really start with. So it kind of like starts you as an adult and then like through story reasons um kind of like kicks you back to being like a juvenile shark and you have to kind of like level up and 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 grow from there and i'm not sure how much i love that it was a kind of a cool taste of like what was to come but hmm. then it felt like the game slammed on the brakes from there and it was so much worse for me and my experience like i'm really interested to see how or like what you thought of it ryan because um not that i need games to be handholdy mm -hmm. but <laughs> um i definitely got uh lost and frustrated <laughs> it, it it metroids you for sure where you have your powers or or a good selection of of being a a powerful shark and then they uh, they they blow it up in your face, and you you start fresh. Which again, like I I anticipated at some point we're gonna they're gonna start us over as a as a baby shark because I that was the idea of the game, but um, the yeah ramp I was up, definitely surprised when they kind of like I just figured like that was still going to be me as like an adult shark because it mm -hmm. didn't have any of the like crazy evolved powers that we saw kind of like previewed through like trailers and stuff yeah so i kind of thought that that was going to be my base like power level and then so when i got kicked back to being like a little baby shark i was kind of like oh okay and, and you very much <laughs> but even then like i was still on board with that it just felt like it really slammed the brakes on but it was kind of a, i mean it's it's a cool setup it's a little bit tropey but it's still a cool story setup. I think. I think it works. I was I was happy with it. It works, uh, but it, it doesn't change the fact that it feels very jarring. And and the ramp up back to where uh, you were doesn't take forever, but it takes long enough that well. you it, like it takes long enough that you feel uh, like this is a you know dragging a little bit. And and really, what I what I agree with a lot of people are saying. Some people are saying about the game is that it gets a bit repetitive in the structure of the game where some quests are quite quirky and fun and deal with more, you know, mayhem than just eat 10 of these, these, these fish that aren't going to fight back. And there's at least three of those quests in each area. And, and they do lead to a, to, to drawing out an apex predator that, that then you, you then have to fight. But again, like, my in my opinion like fighting the other fish underwater uh 
was less exciting than fighting uh, the humans that would come at you, like the hunters that would come at you once you've you've gained enough or you've done enough uh, damage, uh, cause enough threat, right? So yeah, and I think so. I think maybe the mistake in kind of the prologue might have been um, having like just giving you a little bit of freedom because. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, obviously wanting to be a little bit crazy and quirky and kind of see how far I could take this shark thing, found the first beach I possibly could and just massacred everybody. <laughs> like as long as there were humans spawning, I was eating them in glorious fashion, like <laughs> doing the whole go as deep as you can and then like swim up really fast underneath a swimmer and like hump them in the air mm-hmm. like yeah, I was I was living my shark life. And uh, then you get placed into this like bayou area, which I will say like the environments were super cool and really well done. Um, I didn't really like how it would like snap your view to the surface when you got close to it, because I found that that like snapping me out of the water, uh, like moving the camera, sorry, out of the water messed up a lot of my combat when I was trying to go after those apex predators and in the first area you very much are outmatched like you have to it's almost like dark souls like you have to like hit and dodge and hit and dodge and hit and dodge and run and you know if you get if you get caught by the the alligator you will probably die mm-hmm. like one bite from the alligator takes like 90% of your health like because you're like a level two to three and it's a level 15 and that was the first thing I noticed was that there were like there were bad guys to fight in the first area and it kind of continued along this pattern that were level one level eight and level 15 and there was nothing in between so it's like I found the level ones completely trivial the level eights became pretty easy and I'll talk about why in a second, but the number the level eights were pretty easy. And then the level 15s were like, I say like dark souls esque, and there was Mm -hmm. no kind of like progression between those levels. So it's like, I couldn't kill the 15s, but the eights were too easy and there was nothing in between that. And once you get into the second area, then they kind of add level fives in there And when you're fighting some level fives and a level eight together, then that becomes um, quite interesting. Mm. But it's still like, and (laughs) I'm going to talk about the first area a lot, guys, because I basically got stuck there. So what happened was I I did all my storyline quests until I got a story quest like location that was highlighted on the map in the next area. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to try to make my way over to my next story quest because I want to like see, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know the story that they're telling. It's pretty basic, but I want to make sure that I at least experience the story. So I started trying to make my way over there. And then I found basically the, the connections between at least the first two areas. I'm not sure if this continues all the way through the game, but I'm sure it probably does. There's like sewer grates. And essentially, you um, can only break through certain uh, barriers depending on your size. So there's like juvenile or pup gates, and then there's like teen gates, and then there's adult gates. So I found a sewer grate that I couldn't break. 
And then I looked at the map and I think that there were like, there was the adult grate that I found and the icon was so close to another grate that I had assumed there was only one in the area. Like, I guess I was zoomed out far enough on the map or something that I could basically only see one icon. So I thought I had to level up to adult before I could move into the second area. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so I'm sure you can probably see where this is going. Yep. I ended up playing in the first area for about five hours, which you talk about repetitive, Ryan. I was swimming around looking for no. little level one barracudas because I had killed every alligator in that first area. And I was just like, I don't know what the game wants me to do. I had found every like secret that I could get to without um, like leveling up and getting like the ability to breathe out of water for longer stuff like that. So I'd found like every collectible I could find. I had killed all the apex predators. I was literally just swimming around these bayou canals looking for these little level one fish that are basically just health potions with fins and killing them and seeing like basically essentially no impact on my XP whatsoever. So I was just like, what the heck is going on here? Like, this can't be the way that the game is meant to be played. So I eventually went and looked it up and I had to find a walkthrough. And then it was like, oh, and then you just go here. And I was like, I was there. I've swum by there about 8,000 times at this point. <laughs> and then so I looked at, you know, screenshots and stuff and then saw where the gate was. And then when I found it, I was like, oh, okay. So it's like if they had just placed it like on the other side of the little pathway that it was on, I would have seen it and I would have had no problem. But yeah, for whatever reason, it just, yeah, I completely missed it. So mm. I spent five hours in that first area and I was just like, man. And then, so when I got out into the second area, it does get really interesting really quickly, but I was so burnt out by then. I was just like, I, yeah. I just can't shark anymore. And that. then when you get into, like I say, the second area, you still have those issues with the like levels of your enemies that um the the fights and and by this time again i've been playing for quite a while so it was getting pretty late at night and i was starting to feel when i would get into fights with these big alligators because they were so like one shot kill type enemies i was getting the same kind of like i guess anxiety that i used to get when i first started playing dbd hmm. and i was like i need to stop playing this game because like I can feel myself getting like sweaty and like my heart's beating really fast. And I'm like, I need to go to sleep soon. <laughs> so it's like 4 a.m. Like I need to go to bed. <laughs> so I had to stop playing because it just, yeah. But um, so I know my experience is not necessarily typical, but I wish that they, even if they had, um, like I say, spaced the grates a little bit differently or added some sort of like um, level expectation or like um, life stage or something like next to the quest tech. So like I knew that it was a, a quest meant for teens so that there was a way to get through to that other area. Like any little UI hint might have might have been helpful. But again, like I'm sure I'm probably the only one that got lost. <laughs> No, I mean, but that was my experience. <laughs> the the wayfinding in the game is is very basic in the sense that when you complete an area, they give you a checklist of 
uh, quests and uh, and progression you need to complete in that area before you 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 technically move on and progress into the second chapter or the or the next area, and it is just a it is just a waypoint in your finder and you kind of have to navigate and that's where the map comes in handy. You can kind of open up the map and kind of see where where some of the waterways connect, but even then it, there might not be a clear connection and that sometimes you're swimming under a grate, sometimes you're having to jump over a pier, and I found very early on in that first area you are underpowered in terms of enemies, in terms of getting collectibles, in terms of even uh, taking on the bonus objectives of the areas like taking out uh, the targets. So once you've completed a, a good portion of what's required, they'll start populating the map with, okay, now go kill this alligator. And I did try to do those a couple times early on when I was like level five. And these are like level 15, as you said, alligators. And you're not meant to do that that's that's bonus content well, i to come did back that <laughs> and, and again like i think like what you did is uh, it's unfortunate because i think the game uh does suffer from uh you know some stuff not being as fun as others and the stuff that you felt you needed to do was is, is not fun what, what i had fun with was progressing through each area kind of not as quickly as possible but in the way i wanted to uh, while going from requirement to requirement and the the most fun I had was leveling up my shark and and getting him more and more powerful to be able to just tear the humans apart that that was the most fun I had was when I was you know eating eating the innocent humans that were defenseless and then also taking out the hunters that were coming you know uh coming my way and and well, okay, so I have I have a question about mm -hmm. the hunters, and this might have just been because the hunter was like lower level, and by this time I had, you know, so much experience fighting. I think I know what you're about to ask alligators. Uh, oh, okay, so, go ahead. so I I went after enough, I guess, like fishing boats and pleasure crafts and whatever, and killed a lot, like you say, of innocent humans, mm -hmm. uh, and then I got my first like nemesis, like my first hunter came after me, and. I just blew up his sea dew and he died. Yep. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. I, so I kind of like, you I are just a shark. kind of went <laughs> like hop, 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 on the sea dew like four or five times and then it exploded and the dude died, which I mean, I kind of get if I was on a sea dew and it exploded, I yeah. would probably die. But um, I, I don't know. I was expecting it to be more complicated than just like, I, I thought I would have had to like, jump up and and you know knock him off or you know like it, he would have jumped off when the sea dew started to smoke and then you know maybe may be able to make it to a shore and shoot me from there so like i thought there'd be more to it and he was like so basically as you progress through the game you have these adversaries that if you kick up a big enough stink if you kill enough humans then they will come after you and so maybe it's just because he was the first guy. Maybe the encounters get a little bit more complicated. I don't know. But uh, I, I was a little bit disappointed with the hunters at first. But mm. um, I still did really enjoy, like, once you're in the second area, they reintroduce you to humans quite quickly. Like I say, if I hadn't gotten stuck in the first area, then being reintroduced to the humans and being a teen shark and, you know leveling up to the point of being able to you know take down a fishing boat like that did happen quite quickly in theory 
Like, I think that's probably in a regular playthrough about an hour in. Like, you're you're not meant to spend the amount of time that I spent in that first, like, bayou swamp area. So, I mean, it's not quite the the breaks that my playthrough pacing ended up having. Um, But yeah, it it very much, um, it does take you back into that kind of um, man versus man eater struggle quite quickly which is really what i wanted out of the game right (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and you do you do get a majority of of the game is that and uh yeah when i came across my first hunter i was expecting like do i really want to have to deal with a hunter coming my way when i'm trying to do these objectives and then i quickly realized the hunter comes in plays a quick introduction uh by the way the narrator oh my god his voice is so familiar who is he like, who is that? He, okay, I can remember the character that he played, but I can't for the life of me remember what show it was on. But it was on, like, a, a ridiculous comedy. Like, it might be, like, The Office or something. But he was Dr. Spaceman. And I cannot remember <laughs> what Dr. show it was. Spaceman. And I feel like I should have, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally I'm, I'm Googling Google it right, it right now. now. It's okay. Chris Parnell, yeah. whoever that is. Uh, Dr. Leo Spaceman in 30 Rock, like you said. 30 Rock, that's it. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah, an archer. That's who he is. Oh, my God. Oh, he, oh honestly. Anchorman. Uh, oh, that's why he sounds familiar. He's Jerry in Rick and Morty. That's why he's so... Oh, that's why he's so currently familiar. But yeah, I no, know. Definitely like Spaceman from from uh, 30 Rock is 100% where I recognized his voice from, but... But it, yeah. it, the narration is fantastic. It's all it's so you know, funny. And I think that's where this game really shines hmm. is that it's it's not only the narrator, but it's like the sense of humor in the lines that he's delivering. And trust me, I have heard every death line in the game now because of those <laughs> level 15 fights. And it's it's like they were there was enough of them and it was like funny every time. It took a really long time, again, considering how much I died. It took a really long time to get a repeat narrator line and the entire game doesn't take itself too seriously. Like the setup right at the beginning is like a discovery channel documentary about a dude that shoots a show called Maneater mm-hmm. about him hunting sharks and it is ridiculous. <laughs> like he's ridiculous the show's ridiculous the the whole premise is crazy and then you know it throws you into oh and by the way you're playing a man-eating shark go Mm -hmm. so i mean it just i think that's really the strength of the game because i think if it took itself too seriously then it wouldn't be nearly as fun so i think the the kind of tongue-in-cheek humor that you get from the narrator from the um kind of I guess environment that you're in even it's it's all really quite light mm-hmm. which helps with the fact that you're murdering hundreds of humans <laughs> oh yeah you're you're definitely uh this is this makes jaws look uh tame you know what yeah. you're doing here and <laughs> and i mean that that has been my favorite part uh, of playing the game is is seeing the cutscenes, progressing the story um the and just uh seeing the, how this man-eater tv show is structured and, and they do a lot of fun stuff with like hashtags like someone will say something in the bottom right it'll <laughs> it'll like represent what they're saying in a joking yeah. way with that it's it's totally what you would expect 
They've really they uh, nailed it. It's they like, nailed it's the outdoor all of that, television like, trashy, show. Trashy like documentary like mm-hmm. reality TV crap. Like mm-hmm. they nailed it. <laughs> they did a very good job there, and I, I'm actually I'm I'm intrigued to see. Like we talk about the silliness outside of um, the the main sort of cutscene show of of Man Eater, but even then, like that show and that representation it's still silly it's 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 still kind of quirky but it still takes it's the most serious part of the whole game is the way this this character uh takes shark hunting and shark capturing so seriously but it's very much like grizzly guy from jaws it's like ah last time i met him we're gonna need a bigger boat that sort of thing it's it's really good and i i I think that's what's going to keep me going in the game is just seeing where this goes because it it continues to go places. Like I did a I did a boss battle and it was really fun. Like you're 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 being presented with enemy human enemies and you're like popping up and grabbing one and eating them and you're just you're a menace. Like it doesn't take long to become what you see in those trailers for Man Eater where mm-hmm. you are just tearing through everything and that's the most fun you'll have. Like I. I don't think fighting the the undersea enemies that are as powerful or just a bit more powerful than you is very is is as fun as fighting the human enemies and and the the way they swarm you and just how overpowered you are. But what I've really liked alongside the combat is the exploration and finding um, the collectibles because again it either leads you to you know more power ups which allows you to level up your your different abilities. Uh, and different sort of uh, equipment uh, that you have. You can equip things to your fins and to your body, like different uh, different uh, modifications and stuff. But I really enjoyed that exploration because you just hit the sonar button and then it highlights a question mark and you can see exactly what it is via the sonar. It's like, oh, I got to go for that crate so I can get more uh, like minerals or something. Well, to Yeah, un- not even... Not even so much looking at the crates, but um, I I found the other collectibles to be even more interesting because mm-hmm. like I again went around and found like all the collectibles in uh, in the first area, and there's some really like cool fun like because the whole idea is basically like you're in Louisiana and the sea levels are rising, so there's a lot of things that have you know sunk over the years as you know global warming has happened and blah 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 whatever so like there's there's a lot of like man-made objects that have been hidden underwater for you to find and there's lots of little like so the area is swarming with alligators and one of the collectibles you can find is a statue of the alligator from peter pan with a clock in its mouth and so it's a lot of real like you know um throwbacks to whether it's you know louisiana or whether it's you know pop culture there's just lots of little really cool and interesting easter eggs and all of them obviously have a super funny voice line to accompany them but the last thing i wanted to say about like the voice lines and narrators like we were talking about how like humorous it is and tongue-in-cheek it is but i i found that they also made quite an effort to not only like make you laugh but also like sneakily educate you <laughs> yeah <laughs> because like they're you know like they'll they'll tell you like as you enter into a new area something about the fish or something about yourself the shark and 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 they're accurate too like they're scientifically accurate and so it's like the bull shark will blah 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 
insert zinger here. And it's just like, but the blah, blah, blah was a scientific fact. And so it's like you're learning, but you don't realize it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really, I, I really like the, the extra flavor they've, they've sort of sprinkled around the game. I, I think, you know, if, uh, if some of the extra requirements for progressing were a little were as fun as the rest of the stuff like again there are some repetitive quests in there but they are pretty pretty quick to to go through aside from getting stuck in the first area i think there are uh some moments yeah, where like, it feels I, a little slow you know i i don't think that like i mean i can't hold that against the game no. really it was you know my mistakes in navigation and you know maybe not paying as much of attention and yeah, sure, there would have been ways to kind of streamline the game to make it so that my experience didn't happen to a majority of people, but maybe it didn't. Like, sometimes I'm just dumb in video games and I just get stuck. Uh, so, I, yeah, it's, it's I'm not going to hold that against the game because even playing five hours in an area meant to take 45 minutes... I was still at least, you know, I, I didn't put the game down. I didn't go, oh, this is dumb. I was like, okay, maybe I just need to explore a little bit more. Like maybe I need to spend some more time doing X, Y, Z. Maybe I actually need to, as a level three shark, take out a level 15 alligator. There's got to be a way to do this since I'm in this area. And, you know, like it, it does kind of lean into the RPG kind of elements of, you know, having a whole bunch of stuff sprinkled in each zone that's going to make you want to come back if you are a completionist and that's really cool um i just <laughs> i mean and maybe the fact that the level 15 alligator was one-shotting me should have been a sign <laughs> that i just failed to grasp but i literally thought maybe i need to kill this level 15 alligator in order to become an adult that is that is what my thinking was in going after that alligator because he also was like um the quests just pop up into your like quest log mm -hmm. when you enter an area where that quest is available so it's kind of like if you've played world of warcraft like when you enter into a daily quest area the way they now have done world quests like all of a sudden it just pops up on the side of your screen and it's like kill this many things it's not part of your main story but it's something that's available based on your physical location. So I didn't quite, I guess, understand that, that they were like bonus things. I thought it was like, okay, you've now swum down this river and that means you need to kill this enemy to move forward. So, I mean, yeah, but, but even then it was, it was enjoyable enough. Like I say, I have those couple of little like nitpicks of if I was designing the game, I might've done a little bit differently. But again, I think a lot of those nitpicks probably come from just me getting stuck in one area and not realizing that I probably should be going after like the level one stuff and coming back for the level eight stuff and then coming back again for the level 15 stuff instead of them providing me a kind of smooth transition through all those difficulties hmm. all of the time. Well, um, as you said, with the with with some of the difficulty spikes, it there's there there aren't really spikes like you don't realize a quest is uh, level 15 until you get up in the face of that enemy you're trying to take of out the target. And, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. realize like, oh, wow, I'm not I'm not leveled up enough for this. And sometimes it causes your death. Sometimes it causes you to run away. But uh, it, it, it was a little frustrating to to be in that. And I experienced in that first first area was to be like, OK, what am I 
do I move on? Do I try to do more to level up? Like I was also in that mode because they don't really push you out of the first area. They kind of just say like, hey, when you're ready, move on because that's where yeah, the story it's your, is. It's your, yeah, when you hit chapter three, because trust me, I looked at that progression a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's chapter three that just kind of spawns in the second area of the game and you're kind of like, okay, but but how? And I tried like, I tried going across land, which is not something you're <laughs> supposed to do as an aquatic animal. I tried, you know, jumping things. I tried jumping walls. I tried swimming under a whole bunch of stuff. I guess I just, I didn't explore that one area where I found the the first grate. So yeah, I guess that, that's on me. But overall, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a really fun game. Right now it's available on uh, the Epic Game Store and for PC, but it's also available, I believe, on PlayStation and Xbox. Yes. It's definitely available on Xbox um, for 50 bucks. And that's 50 Canadian, so I'm not 100% sure what the American price is, but it's it's not quite... It's one of those, like, not AAA titles, but not indies. It's one of the in-betweens. And I think when I look at the past in-betweens that I've played, this is better than those. Oh, yeah, like it's this, a solid. This feels like a, a solid, polished title that is worth the price of admission. Yeah, oh, I agree, for sure. Uh, the other thing that I played this week was a AAA title, but it was the uh, DLC for Civ Six. So... Basically, Civ Six has now put out uh, what is essentially a season's pass. It's called the uh, the Frontier, sorry, the New Frontier Pass, and it's bi-monthly content from May, so this month until March of next year. So they're kind of like mini DLC packs, and so if you buy the Frontier Pass. And I don't know how much it is off the top of my head, but if you buy it's the Frontier expensive. Pass, yeah, I did. I definitely, when I bought it, it was very much like, okay, this is what I would expect to pay for like an expansion of another game. So it was, I think it was around like 50 bucks, I want to mm -hmm. say. I think so. Um, but you get six DLC packs in it. So it's, when I thought about it that way, I was like, well, when a new chapter in Dead by Daylight comes out, which is like my equivalent, basically, because they put out a new chapter every three months, um, I pay between um, like, I think they're usually like eight to $13, which is basically exactly what this works out to if you divide the price of the Frontier Pass by six. So it, it's on board with the kind of level of like DLC pack content that I'm used to. So it was a big cost up front, but I think it's worth it over the course of the, I guess, length of this pass because I played the first one. So they're at, they added two new civilizations, a new game mode, new city states, though I'll be honest, I've never paid enough attention to city states to really like notice them. It's basically like they're always um, like randomly sprinkled into the map but I don't even really look at the names of the city states. I'm just looking like, okay, what do what do I need more support of? Do I need, you know, is this a military city state? Is it a, a faith based one? Like, I don't pay enough attention to city states like as much as I do to actual like civilizations and what the the differences are in the basically uh, the playable characters. 
Um, but anyways, you got new city states, new resources, and new natural uh, natural wonders. So the first edition, like the first installment in this Frontier Pass, was really big. And I played the new mode. It's called Apocalypse Mode. Mm-hmm. It took me nine or ten hours, I think, to to complete a like standard length game in the new mode. And it played a whole lot like um, basically any like standard civilization mode, but they are much more like they've added a visual that tells you how much the land is going to flood when global warming kicks in. And it basically is natural disasters like on steroids. It's basically like almost every single round there's a natural disaster that happens. So there's hurricanes, there's volcanic eruptions, there's earthquakes, there's river floods, there's um, like tsunamis, like just all kinds of crazy stuff. And there's one happening all the time. And then once you progress to a certain point, and I didn't realize this when I was um, when I was playing, otherwise I probably would have played a little bit differently, but it's not necessarily based on time. It's based on like your technology level and how much pollution you're adding to the game. So there's also a new tracker for basically like environmental factors. And once you hit a certain threshold, then it basically like essentially triggers global warming and the apocalypse. So for me, I think it happened just after like 1900s, which normally in a Civ game, you can get way further than that. But like I so I played as Canada because obviously and like (laughs) Montreal literally got annihilated by a meteor (laughs) like just a meteor fell on my city and everything within three squares was just gone. I was like, what? (laughs) It was ridiculous. (laughs) So and then I realized that that was happening every single turn. Like one civilization was having one city totally wiped off the map every single turn with these like crazy, ridiculous meteors. So it very much like ramps up the disasters and it gets super crazy once you basically destroy the planet. Um, And so I wasn't necessarily racing to my scientific stuff because I was like, you know, I... I had an idea of how the mode was going to work. So I didn't want to, I guess, like push the planet before I had the resources and like the diplomatic clout to undo the damage, basically. And uh, I was also very, very hesitant in like building things like coal plants. I was like, no, I know that's bad. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. But the AI that you're playing with, and I think I played on um, whatever essentially like the middle difficulty is. It's like Prince, I think, or maybe one higher. Noble, sure. King, I can't remember. They they don't just name things as like of course easy, normal, hard. <laughs> they all have different names of like royalty. And I'm like, I, I don't know what's bigger. <laughs> yeah. So I just usually pick one in the middle somewhere. <laughs> I don't know which one's bigger. <laughs> I mean, no, like I more powerful, you could have yeah, said. Yeah, more powerful. So, well, I yeah, guess in we... chess, they do gotta get you know. Yeah, the pieces they get, get bigger. bigger. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so like um, I was kind of I was on a middling difficulty, so definitely not like the hardest. But um, one country, I think it was Spain. The AI was like an entire like they just 
like funneled all of everything into science. And so they were like an entire era ahead of everybody else. And they just ruined the planet. And so like the apocalypse stuff came in, like came into play a lot earlier than I was expecting. And the only reason that I ended up winning the game is because I was Canada and I had a ridiculous amount of like diplomat, like I ended up with a diplomatic victory just before the planet exploded. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's just, yeah, no, no one more turns. Cause literally everyone's just going to die in one more turn. So uh, it was it was an interesting way to play and, and did make you kind of think about the game differently, which is what I'm always looking for in a game mode in when you're talking about a strategy game. And there's going to be a new game mode in each one of these installments. So this Frontier Pass is going to give you six new ways to play civilizations over the course of the next nine months, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, the listing of contents of that they've presented in this pass is is very beefy. Like there's a lot here and I wonder, you know, there you get to a certain point with these games, Civilization, uh XCOM also comes to mind where you've remade the previous iteration in this new engine with, you know, extra layers here and there. But eventually you get to the point where Sims is a good one as well. Eventually you get to the point where you can't build more expansions. Uh, you, I mean, you could, but like what else is there to add that the players mm -hmm. are expecting outside of more game modes, more civilizations, more city states, yada, yada, yada. So at the end of the day, this makes sense this made sense to me in the sense that like you've you've done your two expansions and you want to keep supporting civ 6 i think it's too soon for civ 7 it feels like civ 6 is still is still relevant uh i mean it's been well, around for a while but it has been around for a while but i feel like um civ 6 i don't want to see them do civ 7 because there isn't really anything in the game that i feel like is half baked or not done well like the first time that they brought religions into it it didn't necessarily feel half baked but it didn't feel nearly as good as it feels now and it they've got all these different systems now they've got city states they've got districts i think districts are new to civ 6 um, and districts work really well. They're really interesting and make you think about your city multiple steps ahead. If, if you're smart like that <laughs> and not like me where you're just like plopping them everywhere, but, um, like you actually feel like there's a level of not only civilization planning, but also city planning that goes into this. So I think that there's just, there's a lot of systems here but they all work really well and they work really well together. So I don't know where you would go from here without kind of messing up that balance because now there's just, there's so many things like there's like religions and faith combat. There's like traditional military combat, there's culture and there's amenities that you have to balance. There's uh, tourism, which is different than culture. And you know, like, so, and then plus the, the diplomatic system, like there's, a lot going on and a lot to manage. And I think that if they did a, a Civ 7, then it would very much just be like, well, well why? Like <laughs> you're going to, you're going to try to add another layer onto something that's already complicated enough. And I think like complicated in a really good way. Like I said, they're, they 
are doing a new game mode with each of these packs. And that's enough for me to really enjoy my time because they're with each of these new packs, they're going to be adding new bits to all of these different, um, all the different systems, right? So they're adding new districts, they're adding new buildings, new city states, new everything. So it's like when you're constantly adding in all of these layers to your systems, like you're making them complicated and interesting. And I don't think you need an entirely new game iteration. Now, I'm sure at some point that they are going to be making a Civ 7 because yeah. obviously they are. But it doesn't need to be anytime soon because Civ 6 is such a phenomenal game. Like, it's really, really good. Yeah, I think they... they... They definitely hit the mark with that one. I remember when it launched, a lot of people were were really loving it. And it, it was right after they did the um, the future sci-fi one that didn't have aliens in it, which was unfortunate. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it was a great follow-up to uh, to that game as well as Civ Five. And and I'm I I as I said to you pre-show when I when I saw this news, I'm like, this is great for those that want more content in Civ, but. Um, they added Canada in one of the expansions, which was perfect because what I was waiting for. Uh, but, you know, now that you talk about the game modes and stuff, I think this is a this is an investment I'll make later on down the road when when I want to try those. Because, I mean, for me with Civilization Six or any Civilization game, I go in, start a normal game, get burnt out and then not and then I don't try any of the scenarios. Right. I, I really should beeline for those scenarios. And I think I got a good understanding of Civ Six that I could jump right into a scenario because those seem to be where the fun is at as opposed to yeah just, the scenarios yeah. are really cool and i mean i like the the play from the beginning to the end kind of game modes like i i've always really enjoyed that i've enjoyed sitting down for those 10 to 12 hour sessions and the thing is like when i when i went and i finished the my whole mode and i got my diplomatic victory and it popped up and i got like five different achievements and i was like wow like, I do feel like I really achieved something here. Mm. And it made me, like, look at the achievements, which is something I've never really done for Civilization because in the past, this, the um, achievements have very much been, like, get each kind of victory with each Civilization. And I'm like, eh, you know, like, I have my few Civilizations that I really enjoy playing. I don't usually branch out too much. So I've never gotten a lot of achievements in the Civilization franchise. But this made me look at the achievements, try to figure out how to get them, like want to, after completing my 10 hour game, want to jump into another 10 hour game, like right away. So I, I really think that they've hit a good spot with Civ six. And we should also mention, like, I, I know I've been kind of harping on the, the frontier pass and these six new DLCs, but there's also going to be free updates for everybody throughout this time. So for every um, like paid DLC, that's going to launch, they're also going to do a free update with other content to uh, to all players. So, you know, like they are very much supporting Civ 6 going forward. And uh, yeah, if you if you enjoy Civ 6, absolutely go check it out because it is a lot of fun. Cool. And that means you, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe well, one of these days we'll get in and we'll play like the two of us a scenario or something or, or even just start up a, a multiplayer game and... I'll kick your butt and it'll be fun. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a game that launched today that uh, that I that I picked up and it's called uh, Elder Scrolls Online Greymoor <gasps> Expansion. You picked it up? Yay! Yes. And uh, <laughs> I actually hadn't realized that I didn't buy it 
and I managed to squeak in just under the pre-order window when nice. the entire when all the servers were down for maintenance while they were patching in Graymore. I managed to buy it and still get the the pre-order. I was like, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I I picked it up. I I think I mentioned in Discord, but I bought the standard edition, which what? gives you everything. Uh, even though I had the base game and Morrowind, so now I have uh, access to look. I know I'm never going to play all of it. I know I'm probably not going to. I might I might touch some of those uh, previous expansions here and there uh, just to check them out. But again, for the additional, I think it was maybe 20 or maybe 20 bucks like to get access to everything else. Eh, it was it was worth it at the time. So we'll see how much I play. I was looking into it today. I guess you can create a new character with the new tutorial that they've added and that jump that drops you right into Graymore. That's probably yes. what I'm going to do when I find time to boot it up. Uh, I did patch <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, and actually, so. you should uh, you should let me know when you're going to do that because I believe anyone can play with anyone mm-hmm. uh, because they've got, like, scaling technology. So stuff that I attack will be good for my level. Stuff that you attack will be good for your level. So I think we can probably, like, play together and quest together through the Skyrim content even though my character is, like, level 20. Um, which would be really fun because that's that's what I'm enjoying in ESO is basically like the story and the questing. I haven't even gotten to uh, like any of the dungeons or anything like that. So uh, yeah, we should we should definitely check it out and we'll probably be talking about it for the episodes to come because I know the last time we had Skyrim related content, I think we talked about it for 15 episodes. Granted, it was the first 15 episodes of the Gamers In, but mm-hmm. you know, 400 episodes later, we're coming back around. <laughs> It's going to be Skyrim all day, every day, you guys. <laughs> Let's do it. Wanted to say a quick thank you to our May patron, Matthew P. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You can do so over at patreon.com slash the gamers in. If you would like to be our June patron, I can't believe it's almost June already, but it is. <laughs> so if you'd like to get shout outs all the way through the month of June, go to patreon.com slash the gamers in. That brings us to the news this week. We've got uh, everyone competing for who can tell us more about games during the summer. IGN has now announced the summer of gaming with a schedule, a bunch of charity events and all kinds of stuff. So uh, Ryan, what are you most excited about in IGN's summer of gaming announcements? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's a lot. There's a lot here that they've they've uh, you know outlined in their schedule, but um, I what I think you're you're seeing here is that this is this is going to showcase a lot of the smaller titles from the smaller developers. Not necessarily, you know, they've got CD Projekt Red with with Cyberpunk 2077 in yeah. here, and that's a big hitter. But this isn't going to be. And this is the cool thing about E3 not happening is that everyone can kind of spread out. So some of the yeah, smaller guys can get Yeah, everyone's kind of getting presents. a little piece of the pie. Yeah, and and I think that's where maybe some folks might have gotten, uh, might have gotten you know disappointed by what's here. But it's it's spread out. It's over the month of June that they have their schedule up for, and in terms of my excitement, like nothing really jumped out at me. Um, I am interested to see more cyberpunk 2077 but unless they announce a delay like i'm gonna play that thing in september so that's that's not far yeah off, it's but... not it's not quite as exciting because it's so close <laughs> but yeah but i'm excited to see some of the some of the smaller stuff because again i i have 
really enjoyed some of the like we talk about the in-between games uh that that we've played a lot of on gamers in uh i i would love to, i want to see what what's next for those those type of titles and i know there's going to be a, a lot of those uh sort of sprinkled throughout throughout june and this will give it an opportunity to become front and center as opposed to being overwhelmed by you know all the triple a titles that get unveiled in one day at e3 uh i'm really interested i hope developers enjoy this format a little more and, and maybe we see you know some of the fallout of that next year when when e3 possibly returns who knows but um yeah no it, it's exciting to, to know that june is going to be a big month for sure yeah, I'm actually <laughs> I'm looking forward to them talking to the THQ Nordic guys because yeah. I maybe this is just like the theme of my current mood. I don't know, but like I loved going after humans in Maneater and I'm also super stoked to play as an adorable little alien guy trying to destroy all humans. Did you ever so, play uh play those games I, when they came out? I never did. And uh so I'm, I'm super stoked to yeah. <laughs> No, no, in a good way. They're they're they are oh, okay. a special experience in that, um, you know, we didn't mention it when we were playing Manager, but I but I think we very much hinted at it. Is like this is a game that you've never played before. You are gonna play as an alien, and you are just gonna be running around shooting people and probing, you know, taking brains out. Like it is a special experience, and that, uh, that they've for not research. Done it. <laughs> well, of course, and and to you know in, enslave all of humanity, but uh, it's it's really great and uh, destroy all humans. A big shout out to whoever does the voice of the main alien, uh, who who does his best like Jack Nicholson impression, which uh, is fantastic. But yeah, that that game, though that series was a lot of fun, and uh, if you haven't played it before, definitely check it out when it comes. When's that? That's out this summer. It's out soon. That game. Yeah, be. I don't. It's a 2020 title. I'm not sure exactly what the release date is on it, but it's it's yeah, definitely coming soon. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they have to say. I just I, I like THQ. Yeah, <laughs> so th I want to support great. them regardless. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we also got some not so great news today. Uh, although I, I feel so selfish because I was actually a little bit stoked that this is happening because this year is probably the first year in well i guess since like 2014 that i probably wasn't going to be able to attend but uh blizzcon 2020 has officially been canceled today they're going to do some sort of virtual event uh but they're saying it's probably going to be early 2021 which i thought was a little bit odd that they weren't kind of aiming for that same like november weekend sort of thing but mm -hmm. uh yeah like i I was probably one of the only people that saw this news and went, oh, good, because <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to go. And now I don't have to miss out on anything. I'm a horrible person. I'm sorry, everybody that was stoked. I think, uh, you know, the sentiment I saw online on Twitter it was that I think most people were relieved it wasn't happening for a couple of reasons because they probably they felt they had to go due to obligations. And and it was November is. Who knows what November is going to look like, but there are a lot of people packed in a very, uh, uh, what, from what I've seen in the crowds, uh, tight spot. So yeah, like honestly, as someone who, like I say, has has attended BlizzCon years and years and years in a row, I do not know how they would enforce any kind of distancing because it's a very big venue and you're still packed in there, like mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder. 
pretty much all the time. Like if if everybody from different households had to stand with like two meters away from everybody else, like it just you'd need to triple the size of the venue. So I it just logistically I don't think would be possible unless they cut down the ticket numbers and as we know from past years, like BlizzCon barely breaks even. So mm. I, yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, they, they said about, is it like a month ago now? I think that yeah. um, they weren't going to put t uh, tickets on sale that they were going to um, like kind of reassess the situation. And I think um, the really big takeaway from this announcement basically is that while our world has changed a lot, nothing really has changed since March in terms of, you know, what we need to be doing, because realistically, until we have a vaccine, this is probably what our life is going to be. So um, it's it's unfortunate. Like I <laughs> there is obviously a very big part of me that, you know, wishes we could just like go back to like February's normal. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's a there's a very realistic part of me that understands that that's not possible. So like I said, I'm for like for work reasons, I was like, I don't have any vacation. I'm a contract employee. So I was very sure that I wasn't going to be able to go this year. And I was super bummed about it. And now there's no event for me to miss. So <laughs> I was a little bit happy. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. But no, I, uh, I do. I very much think it was the right decision. Yeah, it's it's definitely the right decision, and, and I think um, when you look at BlizzCon being canceled and November uh, being the normal time that the, the, like 2020 in terms of large scale events, they're not happening. I think at this point, it's safe to say that large scale events in 2020 have been postponed until this is this is we're in a more sure uh, yeah, spot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's uh, both comforting. Uh, that it's been confirmed and we don't have to question it anymore but it's it's all it's it's very much there there's a bummer there too right like it's it's a little bit of both and i think the fact that they've said the virtual event that they're planning won't be till early 2021 um is kind of the the poop cherry on top you know it's like it's <laughs> it's also not yeah, great and that surprised me because i mean of all these events like uh, e3 obviously is is really well posed to do this because they broadcast a lot of their stuff like BlizzCon does too. Like they've been selling the virtual ticket for years now. So I was a little bit surprised that they weren't planning to like record their announcements. And we're going to talk about one in a minute um, that, that did just record stuff and, and put it out as, as a big, you know, announcement today. But I, I just, I'm really surprised that they're not going to hit that November window. And I, I kind of wonder not to get too like tinfoil hatty and and mm. obviously you know like they they probably didn't want to cancel the event but i it, this was another year where i was kind of like well you know what announcements are we actually going to get like blizzcon 2019 was huge we had tons and tons of stuff announced but 2020 feels like you know they'll be coming up on the shadowlands release hopefully fingers crossed we still don't actually have a release date other than they're hoping to hit the 2020 window um like maybe we'd get more info on diablo 4 but by all reports that's nowhere near launching hmm. uh and then yeah like what what else like uh, overwatch 2 maybe like they announced that last year this feels very much like a i guess it was blizzcon 2018 that was really underwhelming 
and 2020 seemed to kind of be shaping up to be the same. So I wonder if they're just kind of breathing a collective sigh of relief and going to refocus on telling us more stuff next spring when they're kind of ready, when they have more to tell us, basically, instead of being locked into this, you know, first weekend in November tradition. I think on a more positive note, what they could be doing in this delay is is taking the extra time to to truly build a, a virtual event. Like as much as we give Blizzard, uh, you know, their fair share of criticism, but also praise like they do like to do big for their for their consumers when it comes to the event like BlizzCon. When you look at it from the virtual ticket, that is just a small portion of what you're experiencing. Like, you know, maybe they look to do uh, some some, you know, demos behind the virtual ticket that you get to experience, you know, uh, not just beta access, but but a tailored experience to it's not just a Nintendo Direct or a video presentation. It's it's more of an event that that you then buy into. Uh, Who knows? But I mean, if, if it ends up being just, you know, we spent the extra time to get some some uh more announceables that'd be fine as well but like uh i i think i think when it comes to blizzard i think they're going to do something you know different from what everyone else is doing when it comes to a virtual event i'd be i'd be surprised if they uh if they just if they were just if they're just going to do the nintendo direct thing and I, I mean delaying it makes no sense that yeah that's that's kind of where my head's at like mm-hmm. there are plenty of ways to do virtual presentations and lots and lots of developers are doing that right now so i was really surprised at their 2021 announcement but yeah i i think you're probably right with their you know we it's whether you think it's it's actually characteristic of blizzard nowadays or not Blizzard definitely has been known in the past as, you know, putting stuff out into alpha and beta that other companies would just release. Like their level of polish in the past has has been very high. So I totally see your side of it where, you know, they're probably looking at how can we do a virtual BlizzCon that isn't just here's our pre-recorded announcements. Like how can we bring people together and make them feel like they're here even though they're all at home? I can see them wanting to go that extra mile. So I look forward to seeing what they're going to have for us uh, early next year. But uh, one more piece of news. And I know we're running a little bit long and I don't (laughs) even care because I want to talk about this because I'm really, really excited. So the Dead by Daylight announcement for their fourth anniversary, Dead by Daylight has been out for four years now. Crazy. And their announcement was today. And I am so excited because there were some really, really, really big things that were talked about in their stream today. So first and foremost, the next killer and survivor in Dead by Daylight, the next chapter, which also includes a map, is a uh, reimagining or, or I don't know, whatever. They're, they're bringing Silent, H- Silent Hill to Dead by Daylight, That's... which is so cool (laughs) that is amazing honestly um before this announcement uh, i know we've talked about this before about dead by daylight i thought what else is there and i really discounted video games in terms of uh, crossovers and and now i think adding silent hill has completely opened up doors that i that i didn't even think to open like resident evil would be an excellent next step i mean it was joking in discord you could even if you want to go to down the konami road you know pull out Dracula from Castlevania and and add one of the Belmonts as as a survivor and just have some fun with it like I think Silent yeah, Hill really true. fits like, but yeah 
as someone who's been a huge fan of Dead by Daylight and also a huge fan of video games, I my head didn't go there either. I was thinking of everything they've done in the past, which has been either directly licensed from or inspired by your traditional movies and television. Like they've never crossed over into the world of other video games. It's like, it's super meta. Yeah. <laughs> It, uh, and uh, yeah. yeah, so they're they're bringing. Uh, so okay, I should I should preface all of this by saying, I have never played my way through a Silent Hill game. The only experience that I have with Silent Hill is I remember like when the first game came out, which was like 1999. So I would have been some amount of years old that I'm not going to say, but <laughs> <laughs> I was in my teens, and uh, so when the first game came out, I remember. Like uh, my friend up at the cottage, the cottage I used to go to was basically a, a tent with a roof. And then across the lake where my friend Michelle had her cottage, like was a hotel. It was amazing. <laughs> and so like we would hang out at her place all the time because we could do all the fun cottage things like the hiking and the swimming and the campfires, as well as like play video games and have the internet. <laughs> So anyways, uh, we attempted one weekend when we oh, were there no. by ourselves to <laughs> play Silent Hill and made it about an hour into the game before we both just noped out of the thing. And that is my experience of Silent Hill. So <laughs> I, uh, I, yeah. yeah, I definitely didn't recognize the killer when it was introduced, but everybody seemed to lose their minds in a good yeah. way. Pyramid Head is a classic uh, Silent Hill you know, uh, antagonist and, and one of the major, I think major monsters. I never played the original, the original series of Silent Hill. And I've only played through one Silent Hill and I remember it pretty vividly. It was on the Wii and I think I rented it when I was in university and I ended up playing it, uh, with, uh, with the mats at the palace. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, it was an experience. It, it was really cool because it was, it was definitely based in Silent Hill, but there was, there was no combat it was all about running so when you got to in a scenario where enemies were coming at you you had to run and there was this look behind you mechanic and it was it was really cool but it was definitely one of those experiences like okay we're gonna make silent hill but it's for the wii and we're gonna use that shitty speaker and it's gonna be great <laughs> uh but i've seen the movie i watched the original movie which is um you know typical of of like early 2000 video game you know uh adaptation but yeah this is a this is a big deal and when i saw it like th this is definitely a fourth an like an anniversary announcement i i did not mm -hmm. anticipate this from dead by daylight uh, you know not since the stranger things announcement did i think dead by daylight was on point when it came to bringing crossovers because i mean what's bigger than for in the horror genre than the netflix's stranger things but then you look at bringing back silent hill like dead by daylight effectively you know uh, took the the golden orb from konami they weren't using it they've actually you know straight up killed uh the last silent hill project that they had and mm -hmm. haven't touched it since and people are clamoring for that franchise to come back so this is big which is really funny because i did go and look at the the tweets from the silent hill guys as opposed to the dead by daylight guys and the responses to that, it seemed like they were, you know, half of them were just super happy to get some sort of Silent Hill content. And the other half were like, <laughs> how does this even fit into the canon of Silent Hill? It's like, 
okay, clearly you're not familiar with Dead by Daylight. <laughs> Let me tell you about the lore. There's this entity and it pulls killers from all known universes and plops them into one place and we get to run from them and it's super spoopy and you just love it because it's amazing. Like, what are you talking about? It doesn't fit in Silent Hill canon. It's not supposed to. This is Dead by Daylight. Come on. Is That's there like Silent saying, Hill canon but how like... does the demigorgon in Dead by Daylight fit into the Stranger Things canon? It doesn't. It's not supposed to. Come on, internet. <laughs> the internet is filled with wonderful people. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so anyways, yeah. Dead by Daylight is getting a Silent Hill chapter. It's coming out in the next couple of weeks. I'm not going to go super in depth, but I think both the killer and the survivor are going to have impacts on the current meta that we're seeing in the game. I'm super excited. And he looks really spooky in, in game. I like, I'm again, not familiar with his character. I'm not familiar with Silent Hill on that level, but man, he looks creepy in Dead by Daylight, so I'm excited. The other part of this uh, fourth anniversary announcement was actually pretty huge, not only for Dead by Daylight, but I think just for kind of gaming in general, because this is something we've been asking for on like so many different multiplayer titles over the past few years. Dead by Daylight is getting full cross-platform support. So using a friends list in game that is going to be populated by the Switch, the Xbox, the PlayStation, the Epic Store, the Windows Store, and Steam, you can pull your friends just by attaching your accounts, pull all of your friends in, and then play Dead by Daylight, which means they are combining the player pool from everything except mobile. So if you are playing on a console or you are playing on a PC platform, you're all now going to play together. Now I say now it's coming this year. Um, they basically didn't give a, an actual launch date, but they did say 2020. So soonish, <laughs> which is very exciting because as someone who has friends at play, on both PC and Xbox as a new Xbox player within the last, I guess like three months mm -hmm. progression has been ridiculous because they didn't have a way. And I mean, I remember talking about this with smite when we were looking at like smite on consoles and stuff. And the big thing was I didn't want to go and play smite on the consoles because I had everything on my PC account and I missed the window to transfer stuff over Dead by Daylight never even had that window. So, or at least since I've been playing, which again, I haven't been like seriously playing and paying attention to the game um, for the, the first couple of years of its inception. But the last year I've been paying a lot of attention and playing like literally every day. And um, yeah, so this is really exciting because it basically means that I now will be able to play on my PC with my PC account with my Xbox friends. But it does kind of bring or like at least for me, it brought up the question or I guess the concern of kind of like matching people across platform in an asymmetrical multiplayer competitive game, because I know like my performance as a survivor is much, much different on an Xbox versus on a on a PC. And they did touch on that a little bit by saying, you know, the metas and the 
you know, uh, what's good and what's bad varies quite a lot from platform to platform. So they were looking forward to kind of like integrating everybody together and, and seeing what the kind of larger community, larger player pool comes up with. And I don't know. I mean, they're, they're doing it. They said for, for a couple of reasons, like progressions, one reason being able to play with your friends is another reason but they also talked about having a larger player pool and matching people based on MMR. So I'm kind of wondering if it's just going to shake out that, you know, with the um, increased amount of uh, like control and precision you could potentially get with a PC, if the like highest MMR players are just going to be PC players and that's how it's going to work out. I don't know, but I am curious to see how this works out because um, traditionally now, obviously dead by daylight, isn't a shooter, but traditionally, when you, you know, mix people across platforms into one gaming space, there's going to be, you know, some people who just perform better or some platforms that perform better than others within that ecosystem. So I'm I'm super excited, but obviously it's Dead by Daylight, so I'm going to be super excited. Ryan, mm -hmm. what do you think? I think uh, cross-platform is a big deal and it's it's required when you start to get into are there going to be next-gen versions uh, or at least Dead by Daylight versions compatible with Xbox Series X and PlayStation oh, 5. Was, oh my god, Ryan, that was the other thing that they talked about today, okay. which I'm also really excited about that I wasn't even going to talk about, but now you've brought it up. They are redoing... <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't watch this thing. I didn't, <laughs> they I didn't know They are redoing all of their like maps and graphics and stuff to be not only compatible, but to like look like it's a next gen game they're literally redoing the entire game i'm okay. so excited <laughs> well i mean yeah some of those maps uh yeah uh, that's a good thing and and i mean basically what i'm getting at is with cross-platform they can they can look at bringing this game to new platforms without worrying about the limited pool because if they do come if they do have this game come to playstation 5 and xbox series x and it's a closed pool, you're only playing with people who have purchased, uh, you know, bought into that next generation. So having cross-platform well, is good. That's always, yeah, that's always been the problem. I, I definitely noticed uh, when I switched over to Xbox, like the, the queues are, you know, five, 10 minutes long, and then I'll switch over to PC and my queues are almost instant. So the size of the player base is definitely impacting queue times. And then as kind of a byproduct of that, it's impacting game quality or like matchmaking quality because the way that the matchmaking works, which is kind of echoed across lots of different games on lots of different platforms, is it starts with like a very narrow window. Like say you're rated a five, it'll look for other players at a rating of five. And then after the first minute, it might expand to include players that are also at four and six. And if you can't find enough to fill the lobby at four and six, then it'll go to three and seven and then two and eight and one and nine. And then by the time you fill that lobby where you started at five, you've now got a skill range that goes all the way from like zero to ten. And those players with a rating of one or zero have a really bad experience compared to the player who's like, a 10, right? So they're hoping by kind of combining all of the pools as they expand onto all of these different platforms by combining the player base, which they also said they had a million players this year. Like they, they hit that threshold of a million players, like unique users playing Dead by Daylight in one 24 hour period, 
which is amazing. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm just, oh man, I, the, the stream got me so hyped today, but that's, <laughs> anyways, what, you, that's what you're um, looking for with a, with a anniversary stream. Like if, if, if they hadn't come out with, uh, with these updates, I think, um, people would have struggled to see like why, why have an anniversary stream? Like this is big news and uh i'm excited because again this game when it launched it was this it was the it was the indie sort of take on the asymmetrical multiplayer with, with yeah Killer, they said you know? when they first launched dead by daylight there were three of them on the team wow okay yeah well, i did not know that <laughs> that's crazy but, and and now because that was one of the like they were talking about like um, how much the the game has grown and and kind of milestones and stuff like that and and that was what they said it's like when we launched Dead by Daylight there was three of us and now our team is over fifty and you know we're doing this that and the other thing and yeah so they basically want to take that you know million player player base and instead of being like split over six or seven different platforms they're all going to be in one player pool so hopefully. When you queue in as a player with a matchmaking rating of five, I'm pulling these numbers out of my butt. I don't actually know what the MMR numbers are. Most games don't show you. So if you have an MMR of five, you should be playing again with three other survivors and a killer that are also at five instead of this big, huge range. So I think it's just it's it's good across the board. I'm interested to see what the actual implementation looks like. If we're going to get UI elements to be like, this is an Xbox player and this is a PlayStation player and these guys are PC or if all that's going to be hidden. I think hiding it's probably fine. Like nobody really needs to know what platform you're playing on if MMR works properly. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it in a nutshell for Dead by Daylight. Um, as far as I know, there's no blog post up yet with all of the things that were announced, but there is going to be a link to the YouTube video in our show notes. It was also a Twitch stream, so that will be archived, archived over on Twitch if that is your platform of preference. But uh, do go and check it out if you're interested at all. I mean, you've got to be interested, guys. How many yeah. times have I told you about Dead by Daylight? Hear the excitement in my voice. Let's go. <laughs> It is a fun game that is that is uh, certainly worth checking out with friends. Like it's a, uh, it, it is a lot of fun, and the variety that they've they've continued to add to it over the years is is fantastic. Definitely check it out. Yeah, I've been really impressed with. I mean, we were talking about Civilization earlier. I've been really impressed with the amount of updates. Like literally every six weeks, the game is getting an update. So you get a major update every twelve weeks, and then a minor update every also every 12 weeks but like on the six week like staggered and uh they've done like killer reworks they've done map reworks map rebalancing like new killers new survivors new perks all added like they've just they've done so much that i feel the game never gets stale even though i'm playing it literally every day so uh do go and check it out again uh links will be in our show notes that's pretty much going to do it for us tonight if you guys want to join the conversation or find people to play dead by daylight with or, you know, ESO or Civ or anything else that we've talked about tonight, except for Maneater because it's a single player, but that's okay. <laughs> Go to our Discord, which is bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn at Joss Plays, Ryan is at our Murphy, and don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.